Um, all right, so if you, if you went ahead, uh, so the notes uh, for my, most of the notes for my sermon, I keep some stuff back because I want you to, I want you to be excited. Um, uh, some, most of the notes are on, uh, if you go to fcbc.life, uh, you can click on the sermon notes tab, uh, online family, you can certainly do that, uh, kind of a way for you to follow along. You can email it yourself. It's a really great resource. Um, if you've gone ahead and you've looked at what Acts 4 looks like, it looks an awful lot like Acts 2. It has a very Acts 2 vibe about it. Uh, and Luke, so Luke's a doctor. He's very detailed. And, and in the midst of the de- details, he takes what he chronicled uh, at the end of the sermon uh, on Pentecost, when all these people are getting saved, they're selling off all their stuff, they're living together in community, uh, and as they, they are doing so, things are happening. Well, here we are a couple chapters later, and things are still happening. And so Paul, or so I'm sorry, Luke takes what, um, what has uh, transpired at Pentecost and begins to expand and to build on it. Uh, and so we get a little different lens uh, of uh, community and togetherness. And he's going to move into uh, a picture of what it looks like when a church not only comes together, but begins to truly do life together. Uh, And that is what the church is about, right? We are about unity. We are about moving forward together uh, for the glory of God, for the good of the church uh, as we move forward. And and one of the ways we do that, we talked about, about laughing together, right? Like just doing community, breaking bread together, praying together, uh, just having a good time together. Uh, But then we've also talked about studying God's word together, being built up in the studying of God's word, both in the larger corporate group setting, but also in the smaller group setting, whether it's on campus or in homes or in the two new groups that are going to be started tonight, support groups like divorce care or like grief share, where people who are in the same uh, chapter of life can come together and and quite honestly can commiserate and pray for one another. All of those things are very important. But then there comes a point that, quite honestly, and I'm just going to be really blunt and kind of open and honest with you today, your rear end needs to leave the chair, okay? You got to get out and serve, right? You, you can't be the hands and feet of Jesus if your rear end is, is plugged into the chair, all right? You, because Jesus didn't just stay in one place, Jesus in his ministry was nomadic. He went different places. He shared the glory of God. He did miracles. He healed the sick. He he brought the dead back to life. All of those things. Now, is that going to happen in 21st century Christendom? Probably not. Can it? Of course it can. The reason that that we see the signs and miracles that were done in the first century was that God was making his glory known. And so, so, but there are other ways that God does miracles, right? There are ways that God does miracles in the 21st century, right? Every time somebody trusts Jesus Christ as Savior, a miracle has been done. And so, and so that is the purpose of Fort Caroline Baptist Church, that we live together in community, that we go out in service and we do it together, that other people might know the name of Jesus. That, that's our end game. Why would we do food distributions or why would we do Love Jack's uh, projects? What is the purpose of all of those things? It is so as we meet the physical needs of our community, it may give us the credibility to share with them their need for spiritual rebirth. That's why we do ministry. And so, so uh, Luke is going to chronicle in, these, in this passage this idea of, of togetherness and togetherness that spills over into generosity. So when we talk about togetherness, the word that we read about in Scripture is the word unity. 
So, so let's talk about unity. How, how do we, we get unity? Who establishes biblical unity? All right, let's back up. All right, so, uh, so last night, I, I, uh, Allie and I went, and, uh, f- went with some friends of ours, and we floated the Itchituckney River yesterday. I know, I love Itchituckney. But I'm 40 and realize that, that I am not in as good a shape as I used to be. All right? And uh, apparently the 80 pounds that I packed on since the last time I floated Itchituckney, uh, th- those things make a difference. And I woke up, I woke up stiff and sore this morning. All right, and, and so we came home from spending time with our friends, and then, and then I watched the Jags game, I watched the Braves game, and then I watched On Patrol Live, okay, that's, what, that's, that's my Saturday thing, all right? Uh, and, and, and so I realized I was cheering on the Jags, I was cheering on the Braves, I was cheering on our law enforcement, and then I fell asleep on the couch. That kind of unity that you see when you put on the orange and blue or the garnet and gold... Or you put on the red and the black. I know your last pastor was a Georgia fan. Um, you, you, you know, you, when you put on the, the, and you go to a stadium and you're all cheering, right? Um, that's, you know, you're all unified. That's not biblical unity. That's just communal unity. Like you have a, a, a natural proclivity to come together. Like you have, you have a singular goal, and that is for the Gators to win or the Braves to win or the Nulls to win. And, and, and you, you go in, no, I don't do that. That's not, that's not cool. Um, and so you, so you, you have this, this communal unity. That's not biblical unity. Biblical unity is, is a unity. It is a, and it's not uniformity, right? It's not we're all not the same people. All right, we are just uh, we are individuals who are united around the same cause. But the difference in biblical unity and communal unity is that biblical unity uh, brings dead people back to life. That's why, that's why we're tied. So, so who establishes biblical unity? Well, of course, God does. And so we see that, that when, and, it, and more importantly, it is God's word, his, his guidebook for us, the inspired and errant word of God. It is those words that are kept in their original context that lead to unity. It leads to our preferences being laid down. It leads to our selfish desires being crucified. It leads to God's will being made supreme. And it also takes, it also leads us to what we, what Paul speaks of in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 when he talks about one body of Christ, but many parts. And all of those parts have to play their part. He talks about it. you can't have an eye. You know, you know what good is an, is an eye? You know, you can't all be an eye because who would hear, right? You can't all be an ear because how, who would smell? You know, you know, all of the body parts that we have, and we're not going to do a big uh, digestion on First uh, Corinthians chapter twelve this morning, but we'll come back and look at that when we do spiritual gifting. But the fact is, is that if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, God has brought you to Fort Caroline Baptist Church because you have value. And he has gifted you specifically for uh, the, the purpose of coming to this church and playing a part to grow the body of Christ. So when we are established in biblical unity, there is one body, but there are many parts. But at the end of the day, it's still one body. You don't have your left leg going one way, your right leg going the other way. How weird would that be? Yet you got out of your car and you walked in this morning and your body just sort of like made it happen. There may have been creaks and cracks. Yes, I know that feeling. Okay? You may have needed a walker to get in this morning. But you didn't have one leg going one way, right? One leg going the other way. Your body 
mostly made it in the same general direction. That's unity in the body. So if God is the one who establishes biblical unity, who experiences it? The church. We get to experience biblical unity. And so let me, let me ask this, this kind of this rhetorical question that we're going to come back during the message and we're going to answer today. How does the church experience biblical unity? I'm so glad you asked. Acts chapter 4, let's start reading in verse 32. As we look at the big idea, the big idea today is this, is that togetherness through service, togetherness through service is the most accurate reflection of Christ that the church can offer. Togetherness through service is the most accurate reflection of Christ that the church can offer. And so Luke writes, he says, Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said any of the things that belonged to him was his own. But they had everything in common. And with great power, I always want to say with great power comes great responsibility. Um, It's a very Spider-Man thing. All right. Uh, And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. All right. If you're comfortable marking up your Bible, highlight, underline, circle, asterisk, that phrase. They were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. It wasn't anything else. It is the testimony of the resurrection of, of the Lord Jesus that ties us, that commissions us to ministry. He says, and great grace was upon them all. Verse 34, there was not a needy person among them. For as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Let me tell you, I, I love that we do a giving moment in our church, but, but I, and this is a detour, this is actually not a part of the sermon, but if, we, if the church was really doing its part in, in, in financial generosity and stewardship, we wouldn't even have to do a, a reminder that, that we have ways for you to give online. If the church, if, the church, if everyone was pulling their weight, doing what, what God uh, wanted them to do as far as financial generosity, we wouldn't have to have a church budget because there would be sur- such a surplus, we could just do the work of, of the church. So how does the church experience Unity. One is a culture of generosity. So Luke takes what he wrote in Acts chapter 2 and then begins to unfold it a little more uh, and gets into the generosity aspect. Now, this is all about culture. Eric Geiger once, once said that when you change the culture of a church, and some churches the culture needs to be changed. Some churches are inwardly focused. They are they're all about them. They're all about the country club mentality, keeping the membership happy, right? That's what a country club does. You keep the membership happy and then they continue to to give and then and then, you know, the church has all these financial resources, but they're not doing anything to reach people outside the country club. They are just keeping the people inside the country club happy. Do you know there there are actually churches that are that way? Thankfully, I don't think Fort Caroline's at Thankfully, and you don't want to get to that point, all right? But, but uh, Eric Geiger says that when you change the culture of a church, the culture is the last thing to change. And, and the reason why is that you have to get people out of a mindset that, that what you own actually is yours. You say, Pastor, I worked for it. 
I worked hard for this money. It's mine. That's not true. Everything above nothing is a gift of God. Right? God gives us every good thing. He owns cattle on a, on a thousand hills. It all belongs to him. You know how I know? Because he created it all. And because he created it all, he gives to us, even though we work not for a paycheck, not for a 401k, not for a pension, we work so that God may be glorified and that we might have opportunities to share the gospel in the world. And out of that, God uh, gives to us that which we need and sometimes that which we want. So we're talking about a culture within the local church. And so, so Luke is going to detail this uh, briefly. He's going to do it using question words. So you know, look at, uh, at, at the verse, first question word in verse 32. And, like who? Who are the ones that are, that are experiencing this biblical unity? Verse 32, it's, it's everyone. All right? The full number. I love that it says the full number. That's everyone. When was the last time you saw 100% uh, unanimity within a local church? Like, I mean, I mean like, like, let's get into the color of the carpet. And let's get into the, to the, the worship style. Let's get into what we're having at the next church potluck. All right, when was the last time you saw a church just completely united over, over everything? It says the full number, everyone was in unity. Everyone was together. And says, and look at what it also said. It said that no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. This is something, church, I want you to write this down. This is called a kingdom mindset. It's a kingdom mindset. It is the mindset that everything above nothing is a gift of God. And so everything that I have, my bank account, my 401k, my, uh, uh, my cars, my house, anything. If God comes to you, church, if God comes to me and says, Patrick, I want it all. I want you to sell everything you have. And I want you to go to, to the bush of Africa and spend your life sharing the gospel there. I want you to sell it all and go. Church, if I don't go, I'm outside the will of God. And if we have a problem giving those things up, then that means that our God is not the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Our God is the God of our wallet. Part of having a culture of generosity is having a kingdom mindset that church, this world is not our home. Thank goodness. I mean, I love being an American. I, I, I am an American. I am very proudly, unashamedly American. And I'm very, I embarrass Allie when, when we, we travel abroad because I generally wear an American flag t-shirt or I have American flag swim trunks. I wore them yesterday to Chittutney. I'm unashamedly American, but above all else, I am unashamedly a Christian first. I'm a citizen of heaven before I'm a citizen of the United States. It says that no one saw anything was his or her own. And so when, when did they, when were they generous? Well, whenever anyone had a need. It said with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony. Grace was upon them all. And it says there was not a needy person. Does that mean that, that we just give away unashamedly to, to anyone, to everyone? No, you have to be judicious. You have to be good stewards of what God's given you. You, you can't just, just, you know, just be a church of handouts because unfortunately in a fallen world, people will take advantage of that. But church, if, the, if we realize a need, if, we, if, if a need comes to this church and we realize there is a way that we can help someone, we should be the first ones in line to help them. 
And you saw the greatest, to me, the greatest example of that was the, um, was the, the Dobbs case that, that, uh, that outlawed abortion in our country. All right? Or that actually returned the power of abortion, to, of abortion rights to, to the states. People were saying, saying well, you know, that, that women are going to go without reproductive rights. And that, that what's going to happen to all these children that are, that, that are, are going to show up? Well, you know what, church, if we, are true, if, if we as believers in Christ, if we truly are pro-life, then we should be pro-life after birth just as we are pro-life pre-birth. We should be about foster care. We should be about adoption. We should be about reaching the widows and the orphans of this world. Because church, God has given so much to us. We should not have, uh, and we should not have a um, uh, an adoption crisis in our country. We shouldn't have group homes that are overflowing. We shouldn't have foster care workers that are up to their eyeballs in uh, in in cases. We the church, we church, we should be about stepping in and seeing the widows and orphans. That's that's what we do. The Bible literally commands us to, to see that the widows and the orphans are taken care of anytime anyone had a need. And what did they offer? Well, anything and everything. Said, for as many as were owners of lands, this is verse 34, as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold. And they laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each as any had a need. Okay, so let's, let's get into the next idea of, of generosity. Uh, there is a mindset in the local church today that when we give, all right, that when we give, that, that, uh, that I am paying the pastor's salary. My tithe pays your salary. Okay, my, my tithe uh, uh, built this building. Okay, or my generous gift built this building. My, my, uh, you know, my genero- out of my generosity, you know, allowed us to do this or to do that. Church, let me tell you something about what happens. If, every, if we have a kingdom mindset, everything above nothing is a gift of God, then the moment we let go of that which was God's to begin with and we give it to the local church so the local church may do with it what God tells them to do with it, it's no longer yours. It means that... That, it is, um, that, that we, we trust that God is sovereign and that God is going to distribute the proceeds as any has needs and that we do so cheerfully. That we desire to do so cheerfully. That's part of our spiritual act of worship. Matthew chapter 6 and, and verse 19, Jesus speaks to this. He says in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Church, generosity is not about materialism. God doesn't, he doesn't need your money. He, he doesn't need your time. He doesn't need your gifting. The best thing I can tell you today is he wants it. Can you believe that the God of creation, the God who had every right to turn his back on you and and allow your sinfulness to condemn you to hell for all of eternity, wants to do life with you? What a privilege. What a joy for us that the God who doesn't need us, that he wants us. He wants to use us to accomplish his will in his creation. But generosity is about seeing others as the Lord sees them. And when others, when, uh, when we see others as the Lord sees them, then we realize the same about ourselves. Paul talks about this, Romans chapter 12. He said, for, the, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think. 
but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Church, when we decrease and when Jesus increases, so does our capacity to be generous. And if the Lord has been so generous to us, how can we not be generous to those around us as we reflect Christ to a broken world? But secondly, we see a culture of servanthood. Not only a culture of generosity, but a culture of servanthood. You know what I've learned as I've, as I've grown in, into a, uh, a functional adult? Wealth is relative. When I used to get $100 bill from, I had a family member that used to give me a $100 bill for my birthday. And when I was like 10, 11 years old, I thought that was fantastic. Toys R Us, here we come. And I'd walk around Toys R Us and think of all the ways I could spend that $100 bill. And you know what I thought at that point? I am the richest person on the planet today. Action figures, starting lineup, uh, little action figures. Oh, man. Oh, oh I'd go buy a new baseball bat or a new, a new glove. I was rich. And now I look at it and I go, I got bills. I got so many bills. I'm poor. I'm so poor. Right? And I look at, at other people who may have more relative wealth, but compared to a Bill Gates or a Jeff Bezos or an Elon Musk, they're poor. Elon Musk is going to look at us and go, man, you're poor. I'm so rich. Wealth isn't a number. Wealth is a mindset. And wealth is not just about your bank account. Wealth is about, is about God, what God's gifted you with. 1 Timothy chapter 6 Verses 17 through 19, he says, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty or prideful, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous, to be ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. So here's the thing. Everybody in this room is wealthy. Congratulations. I bequeath wealth, health, and prosperity on you. Someone who just tuned in is like, man, this guy's been listening to too much Joel Osteen. Yeah, I dropped a name. I know. I know. We probably won't edit it out later. Okay. Um, the fact is this, is that you may not be wealthy in your bank account. I feel you. Okay, I do. But God has gifted you. Because you are in Christ, friend, you're rich. And God doesn't call us to be prideful about our riches, whether it's in our riches in our gifting or riches in our bank account. You are wealthy compared to somebody else. But that doesn't matter. What matters is what you do with what God has gifted you with. This culture of servanthood. Notice what Paul doesn't tell us to do. He speaks of riches abstractly because riches is not just about the bank account. He doesn't tell us what to do with our money. He doesn't tell us what to do with our time. He doesn't tell us what to do with our gifting, but he speaks to our mindset. Don't be prideful about it. But understand that everything above nothing is a gift from God, and so I'm going to use it for the glory of God and for the good of those around me. Church, when, when we adopt 
a culture of servanthood, whether it's Love Jacks or whether it's the backpacks uh, that we did just a couple weeks ago, or whether it is leading um, a Bible study or a home group, or whether it is, it is serving in some other capacity so that the pastors in this church can, can, do the works that, can do the work that they have to do to keep this place running in an interim time. And you come alongside them and say, listen, I don't want you to deal with all of this. So I want to come along. What can I do? How can I help you? Church, that's a culture of servanthood. Can I tell you, that's super healthy. That's what a healthy church does. A healthy believer doesn't walk into the church and say, what can you do for me? It's what can I do for the kingdom of God? So he speaks to a culture of generosity and also a culture of servanthood. But he also speaks to this culture of encouragement. Look at verse 36 and 7. He says, thus Joseph, who was also called uh, by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. We're introduced here to one of Luke's favorite characters in all of scripture. This is a man named Joseph, but you know him as Barnabas. He's known by by his nickname. He was from Cyprus. He was from the tribe of of Levi. But the greatest insight that we get into him is not his background, is not uh, what he had. It was what he did with what he had. Barnabas' name, son of encouragement, was mentioned over 23 times in the book of Acts alone, but also in other places. Did you, did you grow up with a nickname? Like something that your parents called you or your friends called you? Uh, about 10 years ago, I, I was able to, uh, I, I've been to Haiti uh, many times, uh, but on this one particular trip, we were working with a, uh, when, I was wor- when I was on staff at Fruit Cove Baptist, the other FCBC in Jacks, and um, uh, we, we took a, we had a partnership with, a, with an orphanage, not Cabaret, but one on a different part of the island um, that was uh, down, toward, down um, just outside of Port-au-Prince. Uh, and we were watching this orphanage. They were building a new church and a new building, and we were partnering with them in that. And we got to go down and got to, and my favorite part of going to Haiti is, is playing with the kids. They're so much fun to play with. Uh, there's a picture of me, um, and, and, we're, and what the kids would do is when I would sit down, the kids would just come pile on me because I was big. And so like, they could just like tackle me and pile on me. And, 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 when I, and what the kids would do is they would walk up to me. I love this. Kids would walk up to me, and they would go, they would pat me on the belly, and they go, wah, wah. And I'm going, what is wah? Like, I, I, know, I know Creole, but I didn't know this particular word. Wah. Kids going, wah. You, you, wah. And I'm going, okay. I'm like, I'm like are, are, what are they saying? Are they cussing? They're not cussing at me, are they? They're not calling me a name. What are they doing? And so one of the interpreters who was nearby, I pulled him over. And I, said, I said, Alex, I said, what, what are they saying? They're calling me wah. He says, he says they're calling you king. <laughs> they called me king. I go, yeah, baby. Wah! <laughs> it was all well and good until I realized why they were calling me king. I was fat. <laughs> and they, they saw a big white guy. As I, I don't miss many meals. And so I must be a king. Hey, whatever, any port in a storm. And that whole week, wah, I was wah. And I wasn't known as Patrick or pastor or anything like that. I was known as king that week because I was fat. (laughs) (laughs) Praise God. (laughs) 
Your given name in the first century was not nearly as important as the name you were given as a nickname because the name that you were given as a nickname was generally about, generally had something to do with your character. Barnabas was Joseph, but more importantly, he was known as Barnabas, who was a son of encouragement. That's what he was known for. He wasn't critical. He wasn't a jerk. Can you imagine the son of encouragement, like just being a total jerk when he walked into a room? Can you, can you imagine? Look at, look at what he did with, when he, look at how he encouraged. Verse 37, and this is not just about money, but he says that he sold a field that belonged to him and he brought the money and he laid it at the apostles' feet. Now later in Acts, we're going to hear more about Barnabas. He invested in younger believers. You see that in chapter 9. In, in chapter 11, he, it said that he had a good eye and a, and a glad heart. He encouraged believers to remain faithful in the midst of adversity. He was humble. He was trustworthy. He was patient with the imperfection of others. But, but here in this passage, the specific way that he encouraged was that he sold a field and he, he took the proceeds and he laid it at the apostles' feet. And he walked away. What a picture of submission, of humility. And he trusted, don't miss this, he trusted the men that God himself ordained to be apostles at that time in history to do with it as not they saw fit, but as the Lord saw fit. They weren't, he wasn't cantankerous. He didn't designate it. He wasn't interested in having a building named after him. It was not about self-gratification, but it was about God's glory. Friend, let me ask you, if I were to to ask you, if I were to walk around church, and I do some, and I were to ask people about you, what nickname would they give you? What would they say? Would their nickname be one of encouragement, of generosity, of unity in the Spirit? Or would they say, be careful of that one? Don't turn your back on that one. As you search for your next pastor, let's use the time that we have to be generous with what God's given us. Let's serve. Let's give. Let's take what God's given us and truly believe that if God has cattle on a thousand hills, that he is not going to allow, allow us to go hungry. And let's be generous with what God's gifted us with and given to us, that the kingdom of God may grow because of it. Friend, I don't know where you walked in from today. What your week looked like, the hurts that you have, the fears that you have. But I do know this, the God of creation is intimately and actively involved in your life. And if you're not a believer, if you came with a family member or you have have never trusted Jesus Christ to be your savior, he wants to be intimately and actively involved in your life. He desires you, he pursues you. In just a moment, I'm going to pray, and we're going to be done. And, and when, this, when the, the um, service is over, in just a minute, 
Pastor Matt's going to be standing back in the back where it says, what is your next step? Go see him. Come see me down at the front. If you've never trusted Jesus as Savior, don't leave this building without making the greatest decision you'll ever make. Because God wants to be generous. He's already been generous with you by offering his, the very best that he had, his son Jesus. He wants to be generous with more than that, if you can imagine. Church, let's be unified as we leave this place together today. Would you pray with me? Father, we love you and we honor you. And God, we know we don't always get it right. We know that most time we don't get it right. But God, we know that Jesus came not to be served, but to serve. And so, Father, may, may the culture of Fort Caroline Baptist be one of generosity that people would know and they would love and they would serve Jesus. That, God, as they search for their next pastor, that when he walks in the room, that he would feel the unity in the room. That we would be an accurate reflection of the hands and feet of Jesus. That, God, when people ask about that church on McCormick Road, that they would be regaled of how much, not how much stuff they have or how nice their buildings are, but how every time when someone walks into this place, they feel the love of Christ. And so, Father, may we leave in the unity of the Spirit and the bonds of peace today. For we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.